I don't know what it is about the pandemic. Everybody is riding bicycle now. So <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw your bicycle there. So yeah. a couple of guys were riding bike and they they invited me to come. I'm like, bro, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about that life <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet. All right. So thank you all for jumping on to Life on Purpose, the podcast. Um, today I have, you know, a good friend of mine that I actually met, um, at, uh, at another brother's, um, house and we got to talking and, uh, his line of work is something that I personally am interested in. Um, and I've actually kind of just learned a little bit about it as I, as I desire to learn more about it, I guess, if I may say, um, but at the risk of, you know, uh, introducing him wrong, as you all know, I typically would ask my, uh, uh, those who are on the podcast to tell us a little bit about themselves. So I have John on. John, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Okay, well, John Ogbaji, that's my name. And um, I'm a pilot. You know, I'm a certified flight instructor. I have my CFII, which is the Certified Flight Instructor Certificate. I have my CFII, which is my Certified Flight Instrument Instructor Certificate. And I have my MEI, which is my Multi-Engine Instructor Certificate. So um, I teach people how to fly, you know. And um, I'm based in Dallas. And it's, uh, so in, in essence, I'm an instructor. That's yes. what I, you know, I can say yeah. about myself. I'm a flight instructor and I'm also a ground instructor. So, you know, as obviously it's the cat's out of the back, uh, which is we're going to be talking about flying. And the topic today is take flight, take flight. Okay. And it's going to be titled Take Flight with John Ogbaji. You know, and uh, I appreciate you jumping on. One of the first questions I wanted to ask you, John, is how did you become a pilot? Now, I mean, I, I, I personally, I grew up um, with, um, kind of like a big uncle who, who was a pilot and I really looked up to him and it was, it was a special thing, um, to, to know a pilot and all that. And, um, so how, how did that desire or how did you get here to, first of all, being a pilot, and then we can talk about being an instructor. How did that happen? Um, well, for me, it was more like my family, mm. my, so I, Grew up into, I was born into an aviation family. My dad um, always worked for, you know, an airline. Um, it has a management, like, you know, under the, man, like, operations manager and all that. So, you know, that was just my life, you know, being in the industry. And, you know, I always wanted something that I would do and have fun doing it, you know, whereby it's not going to be like a job. And so there was always this interest as a little kid, but, um, my dad's rule was we if you want to do anything in life you have to get a college degree so you know that kind of just set me back a little bit but um that was just so for me it was just my family my dad precisely you know just looking him going looking him up going to work with him you know and just seeing pilots and they literally have fun doing what they do so that was yeah. just it for me. so that's interesting you know to hear you say um, you know, your background played a part to it. That's, that's really cool. But then to also hear you say you saw them have fun. And so yeah. you wanted to do something that was fun, you know, for yes. some people, and I'll share this. Uh, my wife is one of those people who 
she hates flying like the concept of flight you don't know it doesn't matter what what class you put her in or whatever the case may be you know she just hates flying and there's some people that see flight as a necessity not a thing of fun um, and true. so yeah yeah so one of the things i wanted to take this the one of the directions i wanted to take this podcast today is on how you know taking flight could be likened to the concept of getting things done. Um, taking flight could be likened to the concept of getting things done. You know, if if someone says, "Man, I took flight on that project," meaning I got started, um, yes. but but it's not enough to just get started. It's all. It's actually more important to finish. Like if you take flight, you want to land <laughs> flight, right? So can you yes. just talk about that and how you know? Flying is not really just about getting started, but maybe also some part of it is um, is landing, the tail end of it. Okay, so, you know, everybody, like, I'll tell you as an instructor, one of the very important stage in every pilot's career is usually the first solo. Mm. The first time they get, they fly themselves, you know, without the instructor on board, it's like usually where I teach, we have a t-shirt, you know, and some people like would never lose that t-shirt because, you know, you get to have people sign on it. And it's a very important thing you know, in, in every pilot's life. And for you to be able to teach a student how to fly, you know, or for you to be able to let them go solo, taking off is pretty easy. Now, the most challenging part, I wouldn't use the word difficult, is the landing, you know, and I, I still look back at, I still think back, you know, when I was a student and, you know, my instructor always told me something. He said, look, you would always, you know, take off. You know, you can always take off, but once you're up in the air, you have to land. So, you know, just like you rightly said about, you know, a lot of people start a project, you know, it's like taking flight, but they never finish it. And that's the landing, you know, so it's, you literally have to be good at it. Like, before you can be allowed to solo. Yeah. So for you to, you take off, you have to land. And it's not just landing, it's landing safe and bringing the airplane to full stop, you know? And you know that, okay, your job is complete as an instructor. You know, my I, I love that you share that. My son and I, my I have a seven-year-old who, um, from time to time wants to tell me about who his favorite Bible character is. And um, recently it's been Samson. And the story of Samson um, okay. is, is the, you know, the guy who was strong and, you know, he was uh, he was assigned to do some damage to the enemy. But enemy. somewhere in there, he got lost in a desire <laughs> for a woman and gave up yeah. his secrets and his hair got cut off. And he was basically you know, uh, chained up and he asked for mercy from God and God gave him strength one last time. And as a result of that, you know, he was able to, you know, at least destroy the people within his purview at that time. But, you know, my son would tell me that Samson is one of his heroes. And I, you know, one of the things I, I challenged my son on was, did Samson end well, right? So he may have started well, the question of did he end well? And I say that to say, you know, to your point, you know, you, anyone could take flight. You know, we're all born, if I may say, not if I may say, in all actuality, we're all born with gifts and talents and, and certain things that God has given us. 
the question of how do we use that while we're flying maybe and yes. maybe how we land um, at the tail end is equally important so let's let since we're you know kind of working backwards we talked about the tail end can you can you talk a little bit about <clears throat> what it's like when you're midair like when you achieve the ultimate height you say you just took off and now you're what one might consider coasting you achieve okay. that what what is it what does it feel like what did it feel like for you the first time you just went up there and you were just coasting okay um for me it was it was amazing you know um i remembered one of my birthdays i just wanted to you know be by myself and i took an airplane and i went to another city and when I was, when I took off and, you know, just like you said, posting when I was in cruise, I looked down and the only thing I said, I still remember what I said to myself. I said, you know, I don't see why people don't believe God exists because like it is impossible for you to be up there and just look down and say, well, God really does exist. So, you know, for me, it's like this peace, like I really feel like I, it's it's really hard to explain how I feel, but like I feel this inner peace whenever I'm up there, whenever I'm just coasting, whenever I'm cruise, you know. And you don't really have to worry so much, especially you know when you are what we call like this pilot, we call the flight following. So you have like the controllers watching you, you know, on the radar, looking out for traffic for you and all that. Which you know, it's still your job to look out for traffic, but um. So if I'm trying to like, you know, liken it, it's like, you know, God above watching you, you know, telling you, like guiding you, taking you know, every step of the way. So nice. that's how it is. So you just have this peace of mind. They tell you, okay, there's a, an airplane, you know, in front of you. All you just have to do is, you know, they'll either tell you to turn to this heading or, you know, climb or descend just to get away from that, you know, traffic. So you really feel this peace because you know someone's got your back and yeah so you know like it, i liken that you know to god you know Amen. every single time you know i fly you know it's just that piece like you know god's always got my back so man i love that it's a beautiful feeling honestly i love that i love that and i don't want people to miss what you just said you know when you get to a certain point when you take flight and you get to a certain point where you're coasting the internal piece of coasting really is when you know that god has your back when you right. know, and, and then right. obviously speaking in, in flight terminology, when you know that the, the guys in the, uh, in the control know, room, thank you. And the guys yeah. in the control room yeah. are watching your bag and they're able to yeah. tell you. So, but, but in order for that to happen, you have to be connected to them, don't you? Correct. You have to be connected to them. They have a frequency, you know, so you have to be connected to that frequency and you also have to ask, you know, before Come on you can... now, John. Yes. <laughs> Come on now. You yeah. got to be connected to the frequency. Yes, you, you have, have to be connected. To All right. Yes, and you have to ask, you know. Yeah. And, and we know we know what that means, right? The Bible reminds us that ask and you shall receive, knock and the door shall be open unto you. I mean, it, it is biblical. And so to liken that thought, as you described, you have to be connected to the frequency of the Most High God in your Correct. everyday life in order to really... Uh, uh, you know, achieve that which you're trying to achieve, um, and you also um, 
should be asking. Now, there's a book that um, I'm a big, big fan of T.D. Jakes. He wrote a book probably about three, four years ago called Soar. Uh, okay. Soar. And the concept of Soar was really a, an entrepreneurial manual, if you may say. In other words, it was like, you know, bringing your vision to life or something, I think was the tagline. But he wrote it and it was a really good book. He wrote it so practical that anyone that had a business idea could read this, you know, and kind of walk through how to get to that destination. Okay. But one of the things that he talked about in that book as obviously tagline or titled Soar was, you know, how, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you've taken flight and you've achieved a certain level, um, as we talk about coasting, soaring is another piece to it. Can you, can you just touch a little bit on that? What is it? And, and maybe talk about how, you know, the eagle soars. I mean, we're reminded in Isaiah, um, I think it's Isaiah uh, 40, 31, um, that talks about we should mount on wings like eagle, yes. you know, and all that. So can you touch on a little bit on the concept of soaring when you're in flight? Okay. So now there are three phases of flight. You know, or I would say four, you know, the take the takeoff, the initial climb, the cruise, and then the descent, and I would say five, and then the landing, you know. So technically five phases. Okay. Now in all five phases of flight, you know, you take off and then you do the initial climb, which is the second phase. Now the third phase is the cruise. Now, once you get to cruise, you know, same thing, even when you look at the um, airliners, you know, that have all the automated system. Whenever you get to cruise, that is when, like, you've flown passenger planes and all that. When you during climb or during takeoff, right. you see the seatbelt light comes up, you know, right. like, you all have to be seated. Now, when you get to cruise, they turn off the seatbelt light. So, at that point, the passengers are free to, you know, walk around, they can go to the restroom, you know, they can even the um, stewardess, they can, you know, that's when they can come around and give you drinks. So in other words, when you're in that cruise, when you're soaring, you know, you just feel that um, you basically, it's like all danger is averted, mm. you know, because you've gotten to the altitude you're mm. trying to get to. Mm. So trying to relate it, you know, you're trying to get to the pinnacle Amen. because that is where, you will get your best performance. That is the best cruise speed. That is, you know, where you feel safe. And yeah. if there's any reason something happens, you know, at that altitude, you have enough time to think about what to do. You know, you can either, let's say, okay, if you're flying a multi-engine, you know, two-engine airplane or three or four, and you lose one engine, Ooh. you have enough time, you know, to, think about what to do, you know, while the airplane, you know, descends and because you're high. Now, if you're flying a single engine and you're also high and you lose that engine, you have enough time, you know, you're looking at just your, 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 your GPS system. You can right. tell yourself, okay, well, there's an airport around there so I can glide and go towards that airport. So it gives every pilot that peace of mind when they're right there at that cruise stage, because you know that you're safe. If anything happens, God forbid, you can actually just, you know, glide, you can find a place to land. But yeah. during climb or during takeoff, you're literally close to the, to the ground. So if something happens, you know, 
it's um, not safe. You, your reaction time is, I would say, you have little time to react because um, you altitude, like um, all pilots would tell you, like altitude is always our friend. So we need to gain, we need to get really high. So if something happens, you know, we can always just um, find a place to land. You know, you have enough time to think because before the airplane hits the ground, you can try to restart it. You can, you know, basically you're just troubleshooting. And, you know, but when yeah. you're close to the ground, you don't have time to do that. Man, I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, the concept of, you said something, you said all danger is averted when you get to that point. And, yes. you know, it's almost like it's counterintuitive to someone who is scared of heights. Because right. in their mind, you know, I want to be down. I want to be closer to the floor. That's true. When something happens. But, you know, you're saying, no, I, I need to be up there. I need to be at exactly. the height of it all. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how, you know, I, I was having a conversation um, actually on um, the last podcast, uh, the last episode. I, I had a conversation uh, with Victor Loffenbach, and he was talking about three things that are somewhat important in life. Obviously, there are many others. But using this analogy, he said, um, time energy and money time energy and money and he was talking about how in your spectrum of life you know when you're young um you know you have you have energy and you have time but you may not have money when you're in your middle career you have you know you have uh you have some energy you have some money but you may not have time because you're you know focused on you know you're trying to start a family you're so busy and then on the tail end of your career you, you 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 really don't have time um, you don't have energy, but energy. you have all the money you need because you've Very been working true. for the past 60, 70 years. And, yeah. you know, as I think about how you were talking about it, it's almost like that pinnacle stake is the ultimate point where you almost have all things aligned, where you yeah. have the, you're, you're going in the direction you want. You have the altitude that helps you to navigate if you need to, uh, yes. you know, and, and it allows you some time to think. One of the other things that you touched on was safety. I could probably count at least five times where you said safety as you were explaining yes. um, the importance of the altitude. Can you touch on maybe fear? Fear as a, you know, how does fear play into being a pilot? Is it a positive thing? Is it a negative thing? And it may be different for everyone, but can you just talk about fear in general and how it applies to uh, being a pilot from your perspective? Um, you know, it depends on how you want to see fear. You know, fear is a um, false expectation appearing real. Thank you. You know, you could see that and or you could see fear as, um, you know, forget everything and run. You know, mm. so it depends <laughs> I like on that. how you see. I don't think I've heard that one. Forget everything <laughs> and run. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, <laughs> now, so it depends on how the pilot, you know, I'm going to speak for myself, right. you know, um, because everybody's different, you know, as pilots, but um, yeah, fear plays a very big factor in our decision. And that's why as pilots, we, 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 we go with what we call the aeronautical decision-making, you know, mm. and it's a systematic approach to how you, you know, try to solve things, if, um, how you make decisions. So fear plays a very big factor in um, like, you know, you know, anything that isn't built by God is meant to malfunction. Mm. So that airplane isn't built by God. So if you're flying a brand new airplane could have an engine failure, mm. 
Mm. You know, not even just if you have a perfectly good airplane, it could be, you know, weather. You're flying and then you get into like a very bad weather and, you know, disaster could occur. Right. So what we pilots are trained to do is, and that is we are, we are trained to, we try to go over all scenarios, you know, possible things that could happen mm. and um, try as much as possible to see how we can mitigate it, how we can react. Mm. Because every human, you know, to, when you either rise above the occasion or you fall below. Come so, on now. Yeah, so it's, it's all on the person, you know, how they look at it. Now, one of the things I really enjoy being a, an instructor is you're teaching someone who doesn't know how to fly and they look at you as their guardian angel, you know, because I look, I was once a student and looking back, you know, my instructor, once I'm flying with him, there's this, you know, peace, because if anything happens, he's going to take over. I just have to sit down there and watch. Right. Now, same thing, my students look up to me that way. If whether bad weather, good weather, anything happens, they know, okay, well, John, this is a very big factor, but one of the things, you know, we also look into is, you know, part of the ADM, the aeronautical decision-making is risk management. Now, uh, am I going to go fly when, you know, there's a lot of thunderstorm and, you know, it's hailing and all that, and then you have a wind of over maybe 50 miles per hour or something like that? No, you know, because now that's me pushing it to the limit. Now, when it's calm and something happens, like I, I always tell my students, whenever you're flying, you know, you have to think about what would happen. So you're trying to like prepare your mind, you know, okay, if something happens right now, where am I going to drop this plane? You know, if this happens, what am I going to do? If there's a fire in the cockpit, what am I going to do? So yeah. when you prepare your mind for situations like that, the fear, if, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I would say, you know, you probably, it's going to be four. So right. fear is always going to be there, you know, because it's man-made, not God-made. So it's mm. always going to be there, but it's just the ability to mitigate it, to reduce that, you know, that's what, you know, differentiate different pilots. Thank you for sharing that. You know, <clears throat> I read somewhere um, of this um, knot, uh, N-U-T, called the Jesus knot. Okay. Um, when it comes to uh, the helicopter, and I don't know if uh, if that's something that you're familiar with. Uh, um, the no. <laughs> so, and the concept of the Jesus nut, uh, apparently, and I know again, airplanes are different than helicopters, but yes. the concept of Jesus nut is it's the one nut that if if something if it's missing, like there may be other pieces of a helicopter that may be missing, but if this one nut is missing, you might as well not fly that helicopter. <laughs> Educate us a little bit on the difference between an airplane and an helicopter. How do how do they work differently? Do you can you share maybe your perspective? Yeah, so the airplane, you know, they call the helicopters rotorcraft. Mm. You know, okay. now the airplane is completely different. Like if you see the helicopters, you see the wing. I mean, the how it generates its lift. It's using the propeller blades. Right. Like the blades. I'm not. I'm sorry about that. The prop. The blades. And mm -hmm. the blade is usually at the top, or you can at the rear. Now the airplane, some airplanes have propeller, but the propeller is in front. And Got it. usually how airplanes generate lift is 
you know, you need um, thrust and you also need the wings. So you need thrust and you need lift for it to generate lift. There are four forces of, um, of flight, of aerodynamic forces. You know, you have the thrust, you have the lift, you have weight and drag. Now, sorry, say that one more time so we don't lose it. Thrust, okay, lift. Okay, so we have four forces. We have lift, mm -hmm. we have thrust, we have weight, and we have drag. All so right. thrust is the forward force, while drag is the backward force, so it's acting against thrust. Now, lift is the upward force, and then drag is the, I mean, I'm sorry, weight is the downward force, which is, you know, gravity and all that. Right. That uh, is complete physics right there, for those yes, who didn't exactly, know. <laughs> you know. So, you know, what, and, you know, just going, I don't have to go in depth, but in, in summary, what usually makes an airplane fly, there are just two principles, basically, and that's the Bernoulli's principle and the Newton's third law of motion. So adding those two principles or knowing those two principles kind of give the idea how airplanes fly. And, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And then also increase in fluid, decrease, I mean, increase in um, the speed. And then there's also decrease in uh, pressure. So those two principles um, go hand in hand to explain how the wings of the airplane is able, or the wings are actually able to generate lift. Hmm. Hmm. That's yeah. pretty cool. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And for those who didn't really do physics, that that was a quick lesson on yeah. <laughs> on, on on the importance of balance in general and how there are different. You know, one's pulling up, the other's pulling down. One's pulling mm -hmm. forward, the other's pulling back. And the That's ability true. to find the perfect balance is what mm -hmm. gives you gives you flight. And if I may just liken that to you know, honestly, our relationships, um, uh, maybe with our with our spouses, with our children, um, there, there may be some external factors that one needs to be cognizant of, take communication, um, take, uh, you know, uh, presence of, uh, of children, and again, speaking about relationship with your spouse, maybe at this point, um, take a presence of uh, family, in-laws or whatnot, being cognizant of that and finding that middle balance, knowing that everyone are stakeholders in your family, um, is, is truly important, but but above all, remembering that it, you know, being finding that balance that helps you stay afloat, that helps you fly, is important for your relationship. You know, John, one of the thoughts that that also crossed my mind about you know really just flying is uh, the importance of a GPS. The importance of a GPS. Have you ever flown a plane where maybe your GPS just decided to not function and what did you do in that instance? Um, well, it hasn't happened to me, but um, I've had, you know, pilots tell me, you know, it has happened to them. Hmm. Uh, one of the, when you start going cross country and, you know, for the listeners, cross country is basically any, you know, a distance of about 15 nautical miles. So All right, so educators on what 15 nautical miles means. Yeah, so it's just, you know, like, so we're going with distance. I'm trying to see how it's been calculated in miles per hour and all that. Right. I'll try to see how I can convert it. But, you know, a straight line distance of about 50 nautical miles. Now, once you're able to fly from point A to point B, now that's across country as long as it's more than 50 nautical miles. Now, before you start that, the first thing they teach you in aviation is how is what we call pilotage. 
Now, pilotage is you being able to fly and looking outside, like you're using landmark. Mm. Um, if I am trying to go to Walmart, maybe I tell myself or I tell my friend, hey, you know, you if I tell you right now, okay, come over to my house and you don't have a GPS, you know, there are certain things I'll probably tell you, okay, well, there's a cutie right here. It's right. on the left-hand side, you know, there's a roundabout, you know, there's a school, there's a truck. Now using those landmarks. So that's called pilotage. So you know, that just reminds me, uh yeah. forgive me, that just reminds me of back in the day, maybe t- 10 plus years ago, maybe even more like 15 years ago, where we didn't all have GPS and we had to print out map quests printouts yes. in order to go from one place to another. <laughs> place to or another. when you know some of us grew up in parts of the world where you know they'll tell you where you get to that junction. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's that just took me back to that, but go ahead. So yeah, you were saying yeah, you know that's that's really very yeah. true. You know, so um, now you're using that just that point. It could be you know okay. You you know if I'm going to, I'll give an example. If I'm going to let's say Abilene or if I'm going to Houston, right? Okay, on my way to Houston, I should see something. You know, maybe I should see College Station. You know, I shall see the airport. I shall see this. Um, Sam Houston. This, you know, that just something. Sam Houston sign. Exactly. So you're up there and you're looking at all that to make sure that you're actually on the right track. Now that's pilot pilotage. Now dead reckoning is using calculations. So you have like a map, like a sectional, like a paper map, right. and you can tell yourself, okay, well, this is the true course. This is the magnetic course. So if I fly this heading on my heading indicator or my magnetic, my compass, if I keep this heading straight, I don't move left, move right, it's going to take me to Houston. Mm. So that's basically dead reckoning, you know, Mm. just like the word dead. Now, so you, um, back in the days, you know, back in the, like the Wright brothers and all that, that was what basically they used, you know, dead reckoning. Mm. You're just going based on, because they don't, they were trying to like, you know, discover things. Right. So they didn't know, okay, this is what they're going to see. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this calculation should take me to this point. Mm-hmm. And then, but right now we kind of, we always use both of them, both mm-hmm. together. So dead reckoning and pilotage, you just have to, you know, use both for you to be able to find your way. Now, back to the question about the GPS. Um, like I said, it has never happened to me, but like, when I train students, I tell them same thing, you know, this could happen, your GPS could fail. And if it fails now, you have to use your pilotage skill and your dead reckoning skill. Because Ooh. if it, you know, but we also have what we call the five C's. And if, you know, for some reason, you know, your pilotage skill isn't that good, your dead reckoning skill isn't that good, your GPS system is failed, just failed on you. Now, the five C's says you have to climb. So if you are probably, you know, you're in trouble or you're disoriented, just climb. You climb, then you call. Now calling, who are you gonna call? You call the emergency frequency, just like you're calling 911. You call the frequency and then you confess. So you're confessing to them, telling them like, hey, I'm lost, <laughs> lost you know? I like and that. Then you comply. So whatever mm. they tell you to do, you just have to do it. And then you conserve. Conserving is you trying to, you know, 
save your fuel. You're trying to right. preserve your fuel because you, you're lost. You don't know your position, yeah. you know. So basically, you know, we, 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 that's one thing people, you know, always think about, which I'm glad you asked the question, you know, okay, what happens if, you know, your GPS fails? Right. Um, over time in training, they teach you different things, you know, like that you could do to prevent that from happening. But even if that happens, you already know what to do about it. You know, you know the five seasons right. actually get you out of um, whatever situation you are in. John, I appreciate you sharing that. That's some. That's a lot of uh, uh, aviation education. And as as I was thinking about that, and part why I asked the question of GPS is for some of us, <clears throat> you know, we we always want um, to know the direction of where we're going, um, right. and. Um, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to desire to have knowledge, to be aware. Uh, but uh, personally, as, as I walk with God, and I know some folks have shared this as well, sometimes God will only give you incremental information because you can only take so much. Um, you know, and so, you know, in a situation where maybe you had this idea or this vision that, you know, this is where God's taking you. And, you know, you may get, you know, the further part. And, and I was we're having a conversation not too long ago about Joseph and how Joseph had a dream um, that, you know, he was going to be this great guy and his yeah. brothers will bow to him and all that. But he had to go from that situation of dreaming to, you know, and, and most people have shared the different P's, but from the situation yes. of dreaming to the pit where his brothers yeah. put him in a pit before they sold him, you know, to slavery. And so yeah. in that process of being sold to slavery, you know, he was in prison, as my pastor would say. There's a you know the pit, the prison, and there, there's a couple other pieces. But in that yeah, process Potiphar, of being Potiphar, Potiphar, there you Potiphar's go, house. Potiphar, yeah. and then before he gets to the palace, to the but palace, in that yeah. process of being in the prison, you know, he may not have he may have looked and said, "This GPS is really not taking me where I need to go. Like this is not like I don't have a GPS." That's probably how I you know I like to imagine things in that instance. Like what could what could he have been thinking about? He could have been thinking, ah, oh, man, I, I thought I was going to be great, right? But in that instance, there was no direction of greatness. Nonetheless, he stayed true to what he knew because he still, he still asked the baker and, and, and the, you know, the guys in the, in the jailhouse with him that he interpreted their dreams to remember him, right? He told them, the butler, he said, remember me. You know, the yes. one, obviously one got hung, but the other guy, he said, remember me when you go. That means he still had hope. He still had an idea of, you know, the vision being materialized. And so I say that to say, sometimes the GPS may not work in our lives, uh, but we should also remember that we still have a destination. And that's where you, you throw in some of what you've discussed, the pilotage, your ability to navigate from your, you know, the experiences that you may have in some extent, and some, in some cases, if I may say, but also, you know, with the Holy Spirit within us, those who have accepted Christ and have accepted the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit within, you know, you can, you can then let the Holy Spirit guide you. That's the whole role of the GPS. Um, but but it's, there may be times where there is not that clear direction. And I appreciate you sharing, you know, dead reckoning, pilotage, and the five C's. Now, let me ask you this question. What is the toughest flight you've had and uh, what made it so hard? Can you remember the toughest flight you you had and what made it so hard hmm okay so you know as pilots like it was just as a student you know i just i, I got my private pilot certificate that's usually the first certificate to get and 
Um, so I get that certificate. And, you know, you at that point, you feel like, you know, you've conquered the world. That's the feeling. You feel like, you know, you, you can do anything. So I decided to, I had a family friend in Houston, um, somewhere around Clear Lake. And mm-hmm. I decided to, you know, go over there to go visit the family. And I flew there by myself. It was, um, it was challenging. I wouldn't call it tough. It was challenging because, you know, while I was going there, one of the instruments in the airplane wasn't working. Hmm. So for every time he told me, which was actually the head indicator, but you know, as a brand new pilot, you know, you can't read, I didn't know a lot and I couldn't really like understand how the compass was working because it's like a mirror. So if you're supposed to maybe turn left, you're like, you, you see what heading you're supposed to turn to and it's on the left hand side, you're supposed to turn to the right. And I go into Houston and they're trying to like, you know, navigate me through this very busy airspace, like over, um, the airport over there, George uh, Bush Airport. Mm. And then the controller kept telling me, you know, to like go this, like, for example, it's like, I'm not used to Houston. I don't know anything about Houston. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me to follow this highway northbound. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't highway. know what the highway you know? is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what highway you're talking about. Right. You know? So, yeah, it was a very, um, very challenging flight. Um, and you know, so how did you manage it? How did you, how did you, I guess, mentally or you know, situationally manage that challenge? So, I I had to just tell my, I had to calm myself down. I told myself, like, you know, I'm there's nobody here, like, it's just me. So, and then I had to, um, basically confess. I told the the, the controller, I said, hey. I'm not from around here. I don't know this, you know, because I know their job is already tough. So I'm not going right. to try to be tougher for them. So I just said, hey, you know, I'm not from around here. And I don't know what highway you're talking about. I would need help, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can tell me maybe instead of uh, telling me to turn, just tell me, give me vectors, you know, give me mm-hmm. directions. Tell me, okay, turn left, turn right. That would work for me, you know. Mm. That was how I was able to manage it. So in essence, I didn't let you know which um, we have the ha- we have different hazardous attitudes you know as pilots in our right. uh, One of them, which a lot of pilots fall prey to, is the macho. You know, you want to take chances. You know, um, you just feel like you you know you don't want to do you you feel like okay you're macho. It's like I can do it by myself. Pretty much like that. So. I didn't let that get to me. I had to just ask for help. Like, hey, I don't know where, you know, I'm I'm new in this city. I don't know about the highway, northbound, southbound, wherever you want me to go, but right. just help me. I'm going to this airport and that's where I'm going to. You know? Yeah. Well, I like that. I like you sharing that, that in some instances, many people, they want to be macho. They don't want to ask for help, but right. it comes to your life. You should probably, probably, probably ask for help, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's really important. Okay. So if there was a guy listening or a girl listening, um, or a child listening right now, who has an interest in becoming a pilot, um, what are some of the things that they could be doing to maybe just be more aware of what it's like to be a pilot? What would you say? Um, 
you know the good thing about right now is um we've got youtubes like mm. we've got a lot of you know uh bloggers um uh we've got a lot of people you know posting stuff on youtube like trying to document the flight training mm. you know, but uh the first thing i would advise anybody listening right now is um you can search for flight school close to where you stay you know, right. that's the first thing go in talk to you know someone at the school that can explain to you you know if possible a lot of schools offer what they call intro flight so when you um, go on that intro flight and you fly you know they would some schools would actually sit down and explain things to you like a one hour of ground school which is you know teaching you basic things about you know just the airplanes and then one hour of flight 30 minutes to an hour of flight and you know most times when people do that the ones that really because it's like you want to know okay if this is really for you right you know? and once they do that it's like a that's it for them like a mm. lot of them I've, heard, I've seen people go on such flights and the next day they just register like you know this is my dream mm. Mm. some people just need that you know convince you know you, they need that conviction like okay hey I'm going to try it and see if this is something I really would love to do. Right. And some people do that. I'm like, oh, no, this is not for me. So, you know, I would advise anybody listening right now, go to a flight school, talk to someone there, go on an interflight. And, you know, because I can't really tell you, hey, get books and read about it. Because I was from, um, like I said, at the beginning, my family, you know, being in that, aviation sector right. my dad had had lots of books aviation books were laying around but you know i just couldn't understand even though i read the book i couldn't right. understand the book you know because so i wouldn't say okay hey go read this book to understand what it's like but when you go see go to a school see what it's like you know talk to people around there that would really really help that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> John, thank you so much. I have a final question that I asked um, that I'm going to ask this season. Um, and this is um, allow me to use basketball, uh, you know, uh, analogy. So if you were to pick five people, all right, five people who would be on your dream team for life, five people, they could be alive, they could be dead, they could be whatever five humans who had ever lived or still live on earth that would be your dream team for life not basketball dream team but like that would help guide you through life who would they be go wow that's a tough one okay first of all i'll pick um pastor wf kumui okay yes all right i'll pick him first um i'll pick Nelson Mandela. Okay. I'll pick Barack Obama. Okay. Um, oh. I'll pick uh, the fourth person I will pick is uh, that's a tough one. But the fifth person definitely I'll pick. Oh, let me say the fourth. I'll definitely pick my dad. Your dad? Yes, my dad. You know. Wow. Um, now, 
the the the, the fifth person. That's a tough one. I will go with. Um, okay, it's um uh, a captain friend of mine. You know, he's he's like a mentor. I'll go with my mentor. He's a captain. Uh, captain Jim Hassan. I'll go with him because he really mentored me mm-hmm. a, a lot. You know, he always every. Every single thing I achieved in the industry, he would, you know, when I told him, he would always encourage me to go for the next thing, you know, like yeah. it was there was never settling for less, you know. Yeah. It was like, okay, you you have to go get the next thing, go get the next thing. So that yeah. would be my final. And I appreciate that. So I, and I want to recap them. I'm gonna well, well walk backwards. Uh the fir- the last one you said was a captain who was your mentor. And so yes. wearing the hat of a mentor. The fourth person you said was your dad. Yes. Why your dad? You know, um, like I was having a conversation with Chidi on Saturday mm-hmm. and it was a very wonderful conversation. And one of the things I told him, I said, it was my birthday. Um, and I just called my dad on the phone and, and I told him, I said, you know, I don't know if I've told you this, but you have no idea how much I appreciate you. Well, that's what I told him. I said, you know, I appreciate all the sacrifice you've made, you know, to get me to this point. And so for me, like even in the list, it's not in any order. Order, I got you. Yes, but if anything, my dad will always be the first because like he... Okay, I'll, I'll just, you know, like summarize it briefly. When I graduated high school and I wanted to become a pilot, um, I was young and he wanted me to just go straight into, you know, the aviation academy, you know, back home. Right. And for some reason, they said, you know, how the politics is and all yep. that. And he said, well, just go to college. So I went to college. After college, you know, based on where I'm from, after college, you know, the next expectation is get a job, you know, get a job, go get married, you know, it's like, okay, you've got your, your what else do you need? Get out of right. your parents' house. But my dad said, you know, like, hey, this is what you really want to do. And I will make sure you become what you want to become. So, wow. you know, he saw that in me and he wanted me to get it, you know. So my dad is my rock, you know, like there he's you someone go. Who always talk to, you know. Well, well, yeah. that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, and then you mentioned Nelson Mandela and Barack Obama. Why those two? So for Nelson Mandela, it's just wisdom. You know, he's just, you know, the wisdom, his, the wisdom is just, you know, um, that's something you can't get anywhere. Just right. a very wise man. And then, you know, Barack Obama, also a very smart man, and, you know, I, I see him as someone who is, you know, who is who is gonna guide. You know, I'm looking at myself like maybe some 20 years ago, meeting someone like Barack Obama would definitely guide me. You know, guide anybody. You know, right. the right path. Which I'm on the right path. Path. You know, um, that's why I would always. You know, that's why I actually picked those. Awesome. And then the the first kind of last person you mentioned was Pastor Kumuyi. Can you yes. tell people who he is? So uh, Pastor Kumuyi is the um, general overseer um, of Deeper Life Bible Church. Mm. 
uh, growing up, my 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 mom, you know, attends to life, and you know, as a young you know kid, it was always a hassle, you know, trying to make a kid that loves playing soccer go to church every Monday, every yeah. Tuesday, you know, every <laughs> pretty day, much every day, church, you know. <laughs> so it was like a like a very big. It was, but you know, you go into church and you listen to this man preach. You know, not just preach, he would teach you, like teach the Bible. And, you know, I look back, even all through my days in college and all that, those teachings, those his messages, those, you know, those that, that kept me in the right path, you know. And I, so for me, it's it's all about, you know, like not, he, he basically, like, led by example so yeah i enjoyed his teaching you know talking about salvation talking about holiness you know talking about you know the rapture just talking about different things you know it was um that's that's you know someone you know i would always want to be i'll always want to be you know my dream team you know in my dream team john thank you so much take flight thank yes you. sir thank you so much <laughs> Thank you.